There we are in the middle, well, barely in the middle, only the ninth day of this time called Lent, a time of preparation before Easter, an opportunity to set aside some activities and time and thoughts and directing your family to set aside some thoughts. So I want to talk a little bit about the continued, we we talked yesterday about Passover and what the Passover really meant. And we talked about where the Lord Jesus was going with his disciples and why were there why were they going there? So we're looking at a passage today and probably tomorrow in Mark chapter fourteen and it starts with verses one through nine and then it goes on. It continues with the plot and um his anointing in Bethany and then the betrayal of Judas, and I have some really interesting thoughts about that I hope you will find as interesting. So as we talk through the Old Covenant and the Passover and what it meant, now we approach the Passion story and how the Passover is still pivotal because we are still talking about these symbols in the Bible, the blood symbols. I know that this is a culture of women and children who say, ooh, blood is ooky. But in the scripture, the word blood, the concept of blood, the sacrifice of blood, which represented life, and in the Passover, in the Old Covenant, when the children of Israel were being freed and their homes and families were being passed over while the Egyptians were being struck down, plays out again here in the New Covenant, the New Testament, and certainly in this time of preparation for Christ's death and resurrection. It was two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. You know, it's like one of the big holidays of the year, let's say Christmas. We certainly don't want any messes at Christmas. I remember reading a newspaper article about there being a truce, literally, among the airlines in America because they were at labor strikes and they were against management and there was all sorts of uprising and this union was rallying together and they were going to strike as a show of their strength right before Christmas. And the president of our country intervened and said, we cannot do this during this time. There are, there's some things we hold sacred. Really, Christmas Day is about one of the few days of the year that you really can be sure that the majority of things are closed. So that's how this was. It's a sacred time. We're not going to cause any trouble, but we still want to figure out how to get him and kill him. And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table. I I have to stop there, too, because I love this portion, the reclining at table, the way people ate during that period of history. They ate laying down on a sofa called a triclinium. May I tell you that I often think how much more I could eat if I was laying down on a sofa? And they stretched out. Their feet were in the back. Their arms and faces and shoulder were gathered around the table. Quite an intimate kind of thing to do. And so there was Jesus, and he was reclining at the table. Normally, we don't recline at the table, do we? As a matter of fact, we tell our kids to keep their elbows off the table. And a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard, 
very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, and if you're reading from your Bible where there's red print for Jesus' words, these are in red print in my Bible. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She had done what she could, and she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wow. We don't know her name. We know that it was in Bethany, and we know that she gave this extraordinarily expensive nard and ointment, and now he is talking about things that the people who are around that table do not understand. Beforehand for burial? Why would you be being anointed for burial? And he's been telling them things, but they don't hear it. They don't understand it. Remember, they don't have the whole book of the Bible right before them, and they can answer it. And then her name will be proclaimed for the whole world for all the days. Look, here we are, centuries later, talking about this woman and what she did. And how does this play into this passion story and what it appears to be going on. Well, in verses 1 and 2, you this can be accounted differently as far as the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened, and I'm not going to spend much time at that because there were two different cal- calendars really going on, a Roman modern cal- calendar and then the Jewish calendar. And then Passover, when Passover starts, is, is set between there. The Passover meal in the history of the Passover, which we talked about yesterday, and then they're figuring out for two days how it is they're going to seize him. I was intrigued with that, and maybe you would pause long enough to see how important this man really was, even though he had nothing. He was not prominent. No one had acknowledged him Messiah, except maybe Peter, when Jesus says, and who do you say that I am? And yet, here are all the chiefs and the scribes and the leaders, and they are trying to figure out how to seize him. It's not easy to catch. And then they have this dinner, and uh, remember, he is the man Jesus healed, Simon the leper. That's whose home they are in, and they're reclining at this table. And then there comes a woman. Now, we do know that this woman is Mary, Mary of Martha and Mary fame, and so we, we acknowledge that, and then comes this vial of very costly perfume. And if you've ever had one of those little glass vials of special kinds of creams or or lotions. I've had a few of them in my life. And that you break off the neck of it. You kind of have to put a face cloth around it so you don't cut yourself. But you break off the neck of it because it's individually sealed. And that's what hers was. It was a, a bottle very much like that. And she had to break it off. And then she poured it onto Jesus. Now, this was not something that was normally done, even though they did always have their feet washed before they got to the triclinium. And who objects? Judas objects. Why does Judas object? Because Judas is basically one of those people in your world who does everything by the rule, but his heart is not in it. 
He does everything by the rule. We should have this money. We should give it to the poor. We should do this right thing. But his heart is not for Christ. And he's really angry, and he's critical of her. He doesn't see this. He doesn't see this at all as Jesus sees it. And so he comes up with these reasons. Uh, and, and scholars agree that there's a validity to the cost and what he could have done with that money. But it was more another picture that we see of our hearts and our opportunity for our hearts. What does my heart look like? What do I feel about these things? What is the priority? Mary's story is told forever. Mary's story is told forever. In John chapter 12, um, verse 43, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think I've been doing that all my life and always will, trying to keep those Gospels in order. In chapter 12, verse 43, it says, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now here's Mary who understood the glory that comes from God by anointing him, by being generous, by not hoarding, by not saying, I need to be wise with this gift and use something else with it. And here is Judas who says, oh no, you can't do that. You need to save this. When I read this passage, I know God was talking to me about my own levels of generosity. And during this time of Lenten, the reminder of what Christ calls us to. She is generous. Judas objects. Mary listens and discern. Judas just goes haywire, and he is going to fix what he wants to fix the way he wants to fix it. I see that in this time of um, economic difficulties in our country, that the elevated amounts of money that the average American is giving to philanthropic organizations, to soup kitchens, to homeless venues, to ministries, and ministries like our ministry. Every week we get these online donations and checks in the mail. Some of them are very small. Some of them are much larger, and we are so grateful. And I am never shy about asking you to continue to do that, to be as generous as Mary was generous and not be as objectionable as Judas was. Judas wanted to be in charge of that money, and Mary wanted to be generous with that money. So that's my few thoughts about this plot to kill Jesus. Tomorrow, I want to talk a little bit more about Judas. I want to look at another passage of scripture and begin to delve a little further into this life and death process of Jesus. At the end of each broadcast, I've been offering you some new resources, new free resources. As of today, there's an entire month of March with verses every day. And tomorrow, I'm going to start by giving you some more candle ideas for lighting a candle or keeping track of the remaining days of Lent. Bless you. Thank you for listening. This is Homemakers by Choice. Remember that the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day.